Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach, and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Hey, Work Positive Nation, it's a real pleasure for me to have as our guest today, Peter Capelli, who's the George W. Taylor Professor of Management at the Wharton School and also Director of Wharton's Center for Human Resources. HR Magazine recently named him as one of the top five most influential management thinkers. NPR cited him as one of the top 50 influencers in the field of aging, and he was also elected uh, a fellow of the National Academy of Human Resources. If you read Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, HR Executive Magazine, you've seen him there. HR Executive Magazine, he has a monthly column there. Also, his most current book is The Future of the Office, which a few people have been talking about lately, Peter, right? Work from home, remote work, and the hard choices that we're facing today around that. Peter, welcome to the Work Positive Podcast. It's a real pleasure for me to have you. Good. Thank you. Glad that you're with us today. So you write from a really interesting space, and you're obviously a thought leader with all these organizations recognizing you. How can a company, be it enterprise level or a small business, how do you see companies attracting top talent today? The marketplace is competitive. We've got big tech companies laying off people left and right, tens of thousands. And yet at the same time, Companies are saying we're having trouble attracting top talent. How do we do that today? You know, I think one of the things we probably need to set up as a frame of reference is just how easy should it be? <laughs> you know, what's what are we expecting here, right? Uh -huh. If you are shopping and top talent, you might say, really what we're talking about, we want really good people, but we don't want to pay too much for them. Mm. It's not that hard to hire great people if you offer them terrific deals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that sense, if this was buying a car, you know, and you wanted to get a great car at a great price, how easy is it to find that? I mean, you probably have to shop a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first thing. It's not easy. We shouldn't expect it to be easy. Okay. Um, but I think the way to think about this is first, it's a market, Right. So you're competing with other people who probably want similar things and the candidates you want probably have other places to go. But for our purposes, the thing that's different about a regular market is we're not commodities. Mm. Right. People are wildly different. Yes. And candidates are wildly different. And the work is different, too. The companies are different. The employers are different. The jobs are different, too. So the big thing that we forget, I think, on the human resources side is that the best thing you can do is to try to get the candidates to sort themselves out hmm. because they don't necessarily have an incentive to tell you the truth about everything. 
<laughs> like if you ask people, what's your worst characteristic? You know, everybody knows the answer to that is to say, I work too hard, you know, <laughs> nobody tells you the truth, right? Yeah. So what you're trying to do is not just find a few good people, they're in your applicant pool someplace. Mm -hmm. You're trying to avoid hiring the wrong people. <laughs> and it's hard to sort them out because they're not telling you the truth and everybody's putting positive spin and our information isn't perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say get them to sort themselves out, uh, if you tell candidates enough about the job that includes understanding of the things which not everybody might like, Right. Mm -hmm. Telling them the truth. So this goes back to the realistic job preview literature that maybe mm -hmm. your older literature, older uh, listeners will remember. And the work on attraction, selection, attrition in psychology by Ben Schneider and those folks. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're telling somebody what the job is about and you're telling them the truth, you know, here are the good things, here are the things not everybody likes. Mm -hmm. And you're telling them something that they're not going to like about the job, mm. you want them to sort themselves out so they don't even apply, right? Mm. Uh, because, you know, look, that doesn't suit me. It's not what I'm after. Okay, good, right? Um, I don't know what we think otherwise if we're not doing that. Sometimes you hear employers say, well, we don't want to tell them the bad things about the job. <laughs> Why? Because you want to trick them? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, like they're tricking us, right? Yeah, right. You're going to hire them in, then they're going to find out about it later. Well, they're going to quit. And then you got to repeat the whole cycle, right? So I'd say back to the main question, how do you attract good people? The first thing is you have to offer people things which are attractive mm -hmm. and you have to offer things which are attractive to high performers. Mm -hmm. And you want to tell them the truth so that people who are not like that won't even apply mm -hmm. because they know they won't like it. It won't fit. So, you know, to get high performers, you, you want to offer them opportunity, mm. right? And opportunity to do things. Mm. You know, you will have the opportunity here to lead, or in a short period of time, you will have the opportunity to run this project. Mm. And, you know, people who have done this or are interested in it know that doing that's a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the truth here is we're going to offer you the opportunity to do something that's a lot of work, and it's pretty hard. The reason you might like that is if you really want to run something, here's the place. Mm. And we're going to try to give you opportunity to do something big that you couldn't get someplace else. Mm. Now, one of the things that means if you're trying to hire people is that you're not going to get people who are really good just by, all, by having them do what they've done in the last job. Right. Oh, okay. Unless you want to pay them a premium for it. So you can get those people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you say it's really hard to find talent, well, not if you want to pay them. <laughs> if you want somebody to do the same thing they've done someplace else mm -hmm. and you want them to be really good at it, why should they come work for you unless you're going to pay them more or, mm. than what they're getting right now? Mm. now? You can get good people and not pay them so much if you're willing to give them an opportunity that they couldn't get someplace else, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not going to do any of those things, it's not too surprising that you're not going to find good people, right? It's a market, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be forward thinking, you want to capture their imagination with a greater sense of opportunity. These high performers is top talent. What kind of opportunities are they they're really seeking today? Well, 
it is important to figure out what do we mean by this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we know that actually to get the description of what you're actually looking for, mm-hmm. particularly if it's a group of people, because nobody agrees. <laughs> and so what you find with lazy hiring committees is they just add everybody's wish list onto it. And then you get this candidate that doesn't exist, right? right. What they used to call the purple squirrel in IT, right? Somebody who just doesn't exist yeah. anywhere. So, And every one of those characteristics you add requirements raises the price, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing is, what are we actually looking for when we say top talent that we're willing to pay for, right? Mm. And once you figure that out, then you've got a sense of where we really could go. Can we give the people we want what people like that are looking for? Mm. Um, But that's going to narrow your set down a lot. One of the things you're going to figure out pretty quickly is most of us don't really need top talent. We would like it, Hmm. but we really want somebody who can do this current job here well. Hmm. We might want somebody who's going to try to move the planet for us. (laughs) The problem is once we get them in that job, they're going to be frustrated Hmm. if you don't give them the opportunity to do something really big, right? Hmm. So first of all, can we just be realistic about what we actually want, right? Very few places actually need top talent, the job that they're offering and what they want people to do is pretty straightforward. Usually they just want them to do it well. Mm. Um, And you don't need that many re-leaders in your organization Mm. because you don't have that many places for leaders to work, right? Mm. Most people have lots of executors. So Mm. what do you really want? Can we be realistic about that? Mm. And that's usually where the problems start because we're not realistic about that. Hmm. And we end up with a wish list and candidates that you just can't find, right? So I remember a few years ago, uh, I'd written a book called uh, Why Good People Can't Get Jobs. And this was after the Great Recession when there was still a lot of unemployment. And a lot of employers were moaning that they couldn't find anybody to hire, which was, of course, ridiculous, you know? And I remember uh, somebody wrote me and told me about their company And they said they had an engineering job to fill, pretty standard. They had 25,000 applicants for this position. Wow. They said none of them made it through the applicant tracking screen because they had put so many requirements on the job that literally nobody who applied could meet it, right? Mm. That's what we need to avoid. Mm. Absolutely. So we have to be uh, crystal clear about the opportunity, and then beyond the opportunity. So how can we call forth the best from this person that will allow them to expand their own personal development as well as professional development? If you really want those people. now, But can you be realistic? Do you really want somebody who is looking to do something bigger? Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's not the case, you just got a job here, you want it filled, Mm -hmm. then don't kid yourself. You know, you don't need that person. You're not going to attract that person. If you've got that person, they're going to quit because you can't offer them the next step up. Right. Right. So what are some best practices of hiring committees that you've seen that are successful that take that wish list and crystallize it to a point of, hey, we can find someone out of 25,000 engineers to fill this position. 
Well, I think, you know, one of the smarter things you can do, and and we've suffered from this by cutting recruiters out of the budget, you know, and Mm -hmm. just letting line managers do it on their own, is start with a budget and say, every one of these things we add to the wish list is going to raise the price we have to pay for these people, okay? Here's our price now. Mm -hmm. And if we look outside, quick market survey, you know, people at that price kind of look like this for that job. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to get that data. Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, what else you want? And uh, everything they add, you got to take something away. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think giving people the cons- the budget constraint and working from there is probably a pretty good exercise to keep the list down. And that's a, a nice dollar-driven way of helping them prioritize. Yeah. Because when you attach the monetary importance to that task, and this yeah. is how much, right? Yeah. So, so let's okay. prioritize. And, you know, uh, Dr. Joey, another thing that's useful is to say – once you got that list, does anybody here in that job have these characteristics? Looking inside for talent. Yeah. I mean, is there anybody who who among us in this job here, mm-hmm. we're looking to replace somebody like me. Mm. The current people have these attributes. Mm. Uh, and if they don't, then what are we talking about? Right. So we want somebody who is better than any of us, but we're not going to pay them more than any of us. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Who are we kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I know you've written about that, I'll call it a need, to look inside for homegrown talent or yep. for persons that are, are within the company now, as opposed to the default of going external. What are some of the obstacles that you see for companies in terms of looking at talent within as opposed to the default of going external? Yeah, I think uh, there was a interesting moment around the dot-com period mm-hmm. um, when companies realized that it was easier for their own employees to get another job by leaving. Mm. Um, I just want to get away from my boss. I'm ready to do something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't find another position internally, so I'm going to leave. Mm. And so what they did then is they set up these internal job boards, and mm-hmm. these are the bidding and posting systems that we're probably familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and initially, they were pretty wide open. You know, you just post everything and anybody can apply for it and then you can decide, right? Mm-hmm. What we have started to do in the last decade is make that less and less open. Mm-hmm. And the way that happened basically is by requiring that your current manager be willing to let you go. Mm-hmm. And that is a killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kills the whole mobility thing. Right. Yes. Because the only the manager only want to lets the bad people go. <laughs> and then the other managers know that and they know that if you're letting me go, I must not be very good. You know, and then the whole thing shuts down. Right. Uh-huh. So that's been the biggest problem. Can we do something about that? Once you clear that out, then the market ends up being pretty good. So one of my our former students here is now at Cornell, J.R. Keller, wrote a, a nice series of papers looking at this. And what he discovered was in a company, if they had a vacancy mm-hmm. and the manager could say, uh, I know the person to fill this, I'm going to get him outside, inside. Or they said, I don't know, let's post it and see. Mm-hmm. If they posted it, they ended up filling the job with people who performed better Mm-hmm. And they also ended up filling the job with candidates who were more diverse mm-hmm. because the population across the whole company was more diverse than oh. all the people that I personally might know, right? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of evidence that makes sense that the broader the market you search in, the better people you're going to find, right? Mm-hmm. So 
It works pretty well. The other thing to bear in mind is that going outside to hire is ridiculously more expensive. Oh, yes. Um, So the evidence, you know, these days, one of my different colleagues here, Matthew Bidwell, did a nice study finding that, you know, filling the same job, he was looking like at directors and banks. Mm -hmm. If you went outside to fill that job with an outsider, Mm -hmm. paid them a lot more, maybe 20, 30% more than the internal people, Mm. took, if you fill that position in terms to the pay mm-hmm. of the person hired from the outside for that same job. Mm-hmm. And the person hired from the outside, it took them three years to perform as well as mm-hmm. the internal candidate because it took a while to learn how the place worked. Sure, so there's a the big culture. productivity hit you take when you go outside and there's a big cost hit on pay mm-hmm. when you go outside as well. Mm-hmm. So why do we go outside? Well, uh, you know, we've made it difficult to go inside now. Yeah. And the grass is always greener maybe when you go outside too, right? Yeah, instead of fertilizing the grass under your feet, right? Yes, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and also if I remember the the last uh, statistic I saw from Sherm about why people leave jobs, I think it's like 57% of people say they leave because of a bad boss. So that internal dynamic of if your manager is letting you go, I sure as heck don't want you, even though the reality is you may perform better under me. Yeah, that's a huge obstacle. Good point. You know, and the other thing we're seeing about turnover is people leave for opportunities. Mm. And that should really frustrate you if you're a manager in your organization, mm. because somebody else is willing to give your good performer a role that you wouldn't give them in your own company. Right. That mm-hmm. that should sober us up. Yeah, but if I'm in the, it, it really should. But I don't know about you, but what I hear back so often is, well, uh, she left to make more money. Yeah. And that, that metric just doesn't hold water, does it? I mean, it just doesn't show up as high as opportunity when you do surveys or exit strategies, right? Well, there's also an interesting story behind that kind of anecdote, which mm-hmm. we do hear a lot. Mm-hmm. And the story is that typically people are lying when they say that. Mm. And the reason they're lying is <laughs> you're my boss. I don't want to tell you, boss, the real reason I'm leaving yeah, yeah. is that I hate you. <laughs> Your leadership style <laughs> Right. So I never say that. And the safe thing to say is to just say, well, they just offered me more money. It was nothing about you or the place. And then I can blame human resources, right? I can say, well, we just couldn't get them to give you enough money. It wasn't my fault. Nothing I did. Right? Right. So in order to maintain their networks and, you know, they don't tell you the truth. That's why exit interviews are important, but you have to do them carefully. You can't just ask somebody when they're leaving to tell their boss what was wrong, right? Mm. Um, they have an incentive not to tell you the truth. And that's typically what we're seeing when people just say, well, it's about the money. You know, if you think about it, if we hear doing the surveys, the surveys say, I want to leave because of opportunity or because of my boss. But then when you're talking to them, they say it's just about the money. Okay, well, mm. which one of those do you think is right? Mm. 10 out of 10, right? <laughs> that's a slam dunk. So let's say, uh, Dr. Peter Capelli is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Uh, so let's say that we have, we've gotten serious about attracting top talent. We know what to do with them. We've got a, a path forward that looks like opportunity that they're not currently getting. We've looked internally to see what homegrown talent we might have. So the, we know the productivity is faster and the culture fit is better when we do that. So let's say we've 
internal or external, we've got a person in a new position within the company. Right. How do we keep them on the team? Right. So about retention, how how can we retain them, right? Well, I, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that, you know, we're we're probably not going to keep people forever, nor would we want to. So mm-hmm. You know, if if you told your listeners after this podcast, just do this and we'll reduce your turnover to zero, they would hate you. <laughs> they would say, want zero turnover, right? Yeah, we don't want everybody here to stay forever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's be realistic about what we, we actually want. And mm-hmm. if you've got super good people mm-hmm. and you've got a pyramid structure, right, you probably can't keep everybody forever. Right. So, you know, the real thing we mean here, I think, is can we keep the people who are most important to us Mm. longer Mm. before they outgrow us? Mm. And one of the ways we can do that is creating more internal opportunities. And that means less outside hiring. Right. I hire you in as a director. We think you really got potential. Then the vice presidential position comes open and we fill it with an outsider. Mm. We'll lose you because you'll get the message that the way to get ahead here is to leave. Right. Because I'm blocked. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is, can we open the pathways Mm -hmm. to persuade people that there is opportunity above? Mm. But I think the other thing, you know, for for really good people, they want opportunity to do new things and to grow. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's a quick way to sort people out. You know, we're offering you the opportunity to do more work, mm-hmm. but to learn new things and advance faster. So can we give people those opportunities? And, you know, these are stretch assignments, right? Mm. Can we give you the opportunity to do bigger things, things you haven't done before? Mm. You know, it's not that hard to create stretch assignments because mainly it's the boss taking things off her desk and giving them to mm. subordinates to do. Mm. But somebody's got to push that along and make it happen. Mm. Um, so I think that's the main thing about retaining good people. Retaining people in general is surprisingly more about social ties than anything we would have thought about otherwise. Oh, please I, talk about that. I stay in organizations because. I care about the people I work with and I think they care about me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we were kids, parents used to say, you'll make new friends when you go someplace else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's true for a while. But once you get older, we also know it's not quite so easy Mm -hmm. uh, to make connections with new people. And particularly if I believe my supervisor cares about me, Mm -hmm. that maybe is the single most important factor other than just underpaying people, you know, that will keep people in your organization. So can we build positive relationships among people mm-hmm. and with our supervisors in particular? So those are the simplest things to do. But again, with all these things, we want to manage our expectations just because we want good people to stay. doesn't mean they're going to stay unless we right. can make it happen for them. Right. What are some of the best practices of more effective managers and supervisors who show that interest in the persons that are on their team? Well, you know, I I think it's not that hard to do. I I think for supervisors, it's important to recognize the burden we have placed on them. Mm. We've expanded spans of control, right? So they supervise more people. We've made supervisors individual contributors as well. 
Mm-hmm. That is, you got your own work to do as well as manage this team of six or seven people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we want you to develop relationships with them and get good at performance management and you know all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so we have to be kind of more realistic. We don't give people the resources. It's going to be harder to do. But I think the what we don't spend enough time on as supervisors is talking to people about their work. You know, we talk about sports and the weather and how your kid's doing, and that's nice. But, Mm -hmm. you know, can we talk about your work? Let's talk about the projects you're working on, Mm -hmm. and what could I do to help you with this project, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't do very much of that. And that, I think, is super important to people in the workplace. I think they understand that they're not really going to be buddies with their supervisor, and as a supervisor with subordinates, mm-hmm. your relationship is hierarchical. Yes. And it's nice if you ask me about my kids and things, that's great. But mm-hmm. I would like to be able to get my work done and get through projects that are hard. And mm-hmm. I'd like support in doing that, particularly for people who want to advance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a supervisor, can you persuade people? It's not just that you care about them, but you care about their career and you're willing to help them. Part of the problem is likely to be that that means helping them with their career might soon mean that they advance beyond me, Yeah. right? Yeah. So am I willing to help people be promoted out of my team? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I don't want to do that, <laughs> then don't be too surprised if people don't feel that great about me as a supervisor. And find a way to leave the team anyway, right? <laughs> Whether it's internal or external. Right. Wonderful. Right. So, yeah, we might not go to the Eagles game together, but we can talk about meaningful work and what makes that work meaningful for you and how can I serve you in creating meaningful in your work. Job. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, beautiful. So what are some of the challenges that you see companies facing today in creating a positive work culture that does these things? Well, you know, let's back up for a minute and just remind people what culture is about. You know, Mm -hmm. culture is kind of the shared understanding about how things really work. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the values and norms of the organization? A simple way to say this, too, is if nobody's looking, how do people behave? Right. If nobody's watching that kind of thing. Right. And how do people come to understand the culture of a place? They understand it by watching what happens mm-hmm. not what people say the culture is Mm-mm. and we've all seen this right companies want to do a culture change and they just roll out a pr campaign about <laughs> values right we said it so therefore it must be true it must be true right so creating a positive culture means changing your practices mm-hmm. and changing your practices in ways that people see mm-hmm. and so that means particularly rewarding people for different things and what kinds of problems get called out too, right? So those are the biggest things, you know. If you've got managers who hit their numbers but are abusive mm-hmm. and they stay or they get rewarded. They're rewarded more than the others, yeah. People understand that's the value here, right? And that's our uh, culture and therefore that's the way we roll in the, that's in the corporation. Roll, right? mm-hmm. So if you want to change the culture, start changing who gets rewarded for what, who gets called out for what, right? Mm-hmm. And can we see manifestations of action other than talk? Wow. Can't change that. It's not going to happen. And for human resource people, let's be clear, you're not running the culture of your organization, right? Mm. You might 
manage the culture a bit of your team within the organization. Mm -hmm. But this this is a C-level exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're put, if they ask you to lead the culture change initiative at your company, run away. <laughs> because, now why is that, Peter? Because <laughs> it's not going to work because you can't control it, right? Uh, uh, and it's going to be a failure, right? Uh, so, if the CEO wants to change it and they want you to help, fabulous. Okay. Right? All right. So if you're not at a C-level and you're the HR director, you have to be in partnership with somebody in that C-suite in order to affect the kind of change in the culture that right. you're if, after. Right. If they want you to help execute, mm -hmm. that's great. Uh -huh. If they want you to do it, forget it. Okay. So it sounds like a challenge that companies are facing today is that disconnect between walk and talk, between what we say we want to do, right. the kind of company we want to be, and how we actually roll around here. Yeah, that's right. And, and in order to elevate HR to a place of leadership in culture transformation, it requires some sort of sponsorship from the C-suite. Well, that's absolutely right. And the problem human resources has had um, over the last few generations is that it had a sense about what to do to make performance better, to make people happier, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem is the CEOs didn't buy it. <laughs> and if you're in a company that doesn't want to invest or spend in on employees and that is not interested in having a particular positive culture mm -hmm. and by that means are you going to punish people who are abusive even if they hit their numbers right mm -hmm. that's a good test mm -hmm. and if they're not going to do that you're not going to have a positive culture so the hr folks have often found themselves knowing what they want to do and what they believe is good for the organization bumping up against a C-suite group that doesn't want to do that, right? Mm, mm. So again, it goes back to leadership. Yeah, we're not in charge, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The HR folks are not running these organizations, unfortunately. Yeah, so Peter, I refer to that as leading from the trunk. You know, you're not behind the steering wheel. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, your foot's not on the pedal. So yeah. how do I, as an HR director or professional, how do I lead from the trunk in such a situation, knowing what I know about what's going to yeah. create a consistent walk and talk culture around here? Right. Well, I think one of the things where human resources as a whole field has failed mm -hmm. is in not making the case to the executive team as to why it is in their interest um, to pursue these approaches. You know, leading up is basically all about trying to persuade the people mm -hmm. above you that mm -hmm. what they want, their goal could be achieved in the way that you're telling them, right? Mm -hmm. And here's a simple example. I can't tell you how many organizations I'm in, mm -hmm. and particularly talking to CEOs, who don't know the cost of turnover in their company. Wow. Right? And the cost of turnover that we generally generate is a way undercounting of that cost. We just count the administrative costs of hiring somebody. Oh, that's... Well, that's not the cost of turnover. Mm, right? Not even close. The cost of turnover is all the lost productivity. It's the knock-on effects of having to hire new people and train them and get them up to speed. Mm -hmm. One of my colleagues wrote a great paper looking at turnover costs among hourly people in retail. Mm -hmm. And they discovered that most of the costs of turnover, the real costs, came among the other employees okay. in filling the vacancy when the person left. You know, 
interviewing new people, trying to get them on the up to speed, helping them out, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Costs of turnover are enormous. Mm-hmm. And if your CEO doesn't know that, mm-hmm. you sort of can't get anywhere in terms of making a case about why managing people well matters. Right? Yeah, and that's so a making the case to the CEO, impact, right? Right, about the costs of managing poorly, mm-hmm. the benefits, which they kind of understand, mm-hmm. about how much more valuable good employees are than poor ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been kind of afraid to make those arguments. And because mm-hmm. of that, you know, you're in a retrenchment mode all the time. Right? Yeah. And some of the statistics I've read suggest that it costs two and a half times a position salary to well, train and go through all that. But that seems to be a bit underestimating. Of I the would think cost. so. Yeah. So I saw them, for example, if you look at professional service firms, mm-hmm. five times is a number there. And if you start counting, what does it cost us if a partner leaves and take clients with them? Yes. Well, it's, you know, it's huge. And I think, you know, some of this honestly has been HR has been too modest. They're, they're saying, you know, we can't measure this perfectly. And so, mm-hmm. but then I always tell them to look to their marketing colleagues who never <laughs> hear anything perfectly. They, they take credit for everything. <laughs> That's right. So uh, use so that as your benchmark. Slather a little more on there, right? <laughs> Make it go further. Dr. Right. Peter Capelli is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Uh, how can Work Positive Nation reach out to you, Dr. Capelli, and uh, connect with you more? Uh, sure. My uh, e- email is easy to get to me. I'm the only Capelli who does this kind of stuff. Two P's, two L's. I'm at the Warden School. Pretty easy to find me. I'm happy to, okay. to connect. And I know LinkedIn you and I connected too. through LinkedIn, so that's yeah. another great way to reach yep. out to you. Yep. Work, Work Positive Nation always wants to know from my guest, Dr. Capelli, about one thing they can do today to be a part of creating that consistency between walk and talk that's that positive work culture. What's one thing you would encourage our listeners to do starting today in the company in which they find themselves to help create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits? Well, I'd say anybody who's supervising, uh, go talk to your direct reports. Just pop by their desk. Tell them you're coming maybe. 10 minutes. Just tell them, look, I just got 10 minutes here. Just wanted to check in with you and let's see what are you working on this week and where do you need help? And even if they just go like that, got nothing interesting (laughs) to take, at least they know you ask them, right? Uh And that you were thinking about how things are going with them. So I would just do that. Pretty simple. Takes almost no time. Almost no time. But yeah, that first reaction, if you've never done this with your direct reports before, <laughs> just yeah. be prepared for, uh, oh, right. Yeah, well. <laughs> so go back <laughs> the, the second time. and third time, and then you start to dig in and, and find some gold. Prepared. Right. Next time they're prepared. Yeah. Dr. Capelli, thank you so much for the gift of your time, your wisdom, and your knowledge in sharing with Work Positive Nation today on this podcast. Thank you My so pleasure. very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Please share this podcast with your friends who are small business leaders so they can create a positive work culture that increases their productivity and profits. Get your free 15-point work positive checklist to help you attract top talent and reduce team turnover. Download this checklist at workpositive.today slash checklist. Remember, It pays to work positive.